starting a series today. We're going to do two weeks um, on this. And I'm excited about it. You know, we, we talked about God speaking to us. We, a lot of us were fasting at the beginning of the year. And, um, you know, just looking to God for a closer relationship and to hear from him. And uh, something that I have been thinking about for a long time is is this topic that we're going to be talking about today. It's been on my heart and mind. It's one of those things that even as I was fasting and praying and I was asking God, what are you, where are you taking us as a church? What do you want to see us do? And what I kept getting back from him is, keep doing what I've been telling you to do. <laughs> I said, okay, anything new? And he's like, how about do what I told you? And, you know, I mean, that's, and, and yes, yes, sir, definitely going to be doing that. So as we're starting today, I'm just going to, if we could be really transparent, sometimes we say, can we be real? Can we do that a little bit today? Does anybody have certain people that kind of bug you? Anybody have that? Anybody? Just me? Really? You don't have to raise your hand exactly, I guess. I mean, that's kind of an obvious thing, but I find that even for us sometimes, you know, if we look deep into our own hearts, there's parts about us that maybe we're not as proud of. And I wonder sometimes, you know, I was reading in the book of Genesis right in the beginning there and about that whole <clears throat> temptation with, with Adam and Eve and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, you know, part of that as they sinned, mankind, we became aware of our sin and aware of our sinfulness. And as I was thinking about that and just doing some reading about that tree of life, one of the things that I was reading about that really started to eat at me personally was the fact that it seems like God had a, a way intended and designed for us to gain satisfaction, a way for us to connect with him and, and to get the, the realization and the personhood and who we are. But since that time in the garden, we've, we've been tainted. And there's things about us that have, has changed and and a lot of times we don't get that satisfaction in life as, in a pure way as God intended. Sometimes I, th- I think of it in this terminology. It's like, where do I get life? What energizes me? Where do I get fulfillment? Where do I get a sense that this is what I was born for? And I'm, I don't know about you, but there's times where it's easy to get lost, and you see this all the time, but some people find that, unfortunately, an achievement. And there's nothing wrong with achievement. God blesses that, and it's from him. But if that's your primary place where you're getting life, then you can get out of balance. For some people, it's things, whether you're owning something or having it or just consuming. For some people, it's recognition. You know who those people are. Not you, right? But they just need to be noticed and recognized, and it's almost as if they're kind of saying, me, 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 look at me, look at me, no matter what's happening. For some people, it's just pure entertainment and enjoyment, and that's what they live for, and that's their source of life. And you want to say, there's more to life than that. For some, and maybe this is more a guy thing, it's about just knowing things. Does anybody here just need to be right? Anybody else? How many of you are like me? I mean, I just like, I, I like input, knowledge. I mean, anybody taking the Strengths Finder? One of my strength things is input. I, I, I could read, the, and I did. I'm just weird. I would read the encyclopedia as a kid because I just wanted to know stuff. It was interesting to me. It wasn't like anybody made me. I just enjoy it. I, I, I struggle sometimes. I have to turn off every source of information for me to focus on doing what I'm supposed to be doing sometimes. 
Because if, if Twitter's there or if a news feed is there, I can just read it all. But the bad side to that is when I have to be right about things. How about achieving and achieving over others? It's not just good enough to achieve, but you have to be over everybody. How about being better than or constantly comparing? It comes down to pride sometimes. C.S. Lewis said, uh, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. You know anybody like that? They have great stuff, but they're just not satisfied with it because they want more, and then they hear about what you got, and they got to go buy something bigger. It's tough. I mean, pride like that and greed and comparisons, they just leave us empty. They leave us really hurting inside because it doesn't satisfy. That's not how God intended us to get life and fulfillment. That's not what he had in mind. And when you build yourself up over other people, really all you end up doing is tearing yourself down. It can be tough, though, loving people who are difficult, because it's, it's not just us. I mean, other people are like that, right? And probably as I was describing that, you probably didn't think of yourself. You're probably thinking of somebody else, maybe a relative or a brother or a friend or maybe somebody in the room, and you're trying not to look at them in case they look back. Just kidding. You know, sometimes it's a personality thing, and our personalities clash. You realize that, right? I mean, that happens. For some people, it's just, I mean... I, Arrogant people bother me. Some people are abrasive. They're just naturally that way. Have you known people like that? It's like everywhere they go, they got to start something. Or, you know, if they, I have friends, I just, I don't, I don't ever go out to eat with them because I know they're going to complain about something at the restaurant. I just like, just, just take it. It doesn't matter. Your coffee can be just, uh, come on. Some people are like perpetually in a bad mood. You know anybody like that? They wonder, why don't we have any friends? Well, it's because you're hard to be with. Some people are always right. I, I, I was looking up some quotes. I thought of some of these things, and I thought, oh, it's so funny. I've heard this. You've probably heard this one, too. But those people who think they know everything are a great annoyance to those of us who actually do. I, they say Isaac Asimov said that. Um, we don't know who said this, but I thought it was funny. People, some people are like clouds. When they disappear, it's a, just a brighter day. You've got uh, Will Rogers. He said so many clever things. He said, too many people spend spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't even like. Yeah. How about, some people have so little going on in their lives they would rather discuss yours. Mm-hmm. The difference between stupidity and genius is that genius has its limits. I, yeah, that's a hard one, too. Um, I heard this one. I didn't put it up on the screen, but some people wear out their welcome when they walk in. I know. Ignorance can be educated. Crazy things can be medicated, but there's no cure for stupid. <clears throat> some, some of you don't stay stupid, right, in your house. I know. I was, we, were over at, we were over at Pastor Nick's, a bunch of us, the other day. or This is a couple months ago or whatever, and it seemed like every little while, Violet would say, um, we're not supposed to say that. <laughs> Okay, I really, uh, so I'm sorry if I offended you there, but um, you've, you've all heard about we have um, unsaved loved ones, but how many of you have unloved saved ones? We do, don't we? If we're going to be honest, we're going to be transparent, going to be real. Fact is, there's people who just bother us, and it, 
Sometimes it's related to past hurts, either hurts from them or hurts that they remind you of. And they may not even have done it, but, but they remind you of somebody who did it. Or maybe they're just obnoxious. Or maybe they remind you of someone who bugged you. I, I've, I know if you've uh, named children, you've probably gone over this with your wife where you're saying, well, how about this name? And then they'll say, no, that, I, had a, I had a so-and-so in third grade. And they are like, oh, my goodness, third grade? Or teachers. I know a lot of people who are teachers, and I've, and I've seen them struggle to name their child because they've had so many children with so many names. They're like, I can't name my kid this because that kid would never stop talking. Or that kid was so disrespectful or tough. But we associate those things and we walk around with that and it sticks in our memory and we, for whatever reason, people rub us the wrong way and we keep that. Sometimes it's legitimate wrongs. Truth is, there's people who legitimately do things. But the question is, today, how do you deal with those people? With mean people, difficult people. Can't say that S word, but that kind of people. How do you do that? interesting too the bible is one of those books that you know i was remember i had a class in college and the teacher would say what's the answer to be his first thing every day he's just trying to be really clever and someone in class would always eventually say jesus you know and he'd say okay well what else you know and i remember sitting there and thinking everything people would say for everything they would say there was an answer in the bible now it's it's not always like a question answer direct thing but there's answers in there and then the more you read, you'll find this, that, you know, our, our mission as a church is love God, love. That's what the Bible's about, the entire book. It's about loving God and then how to love others. It's in there everywhere. You cannot read the Bible without seeing how to treat people and how to treat people better. Paul said it like this. He said the key is to live by the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, among other places, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature, that nature we talked about that Adam and Eve gave us by eating of the tree of knowledge and us needing to be right and all those things we started off talking about. We've nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross. I've never read it this way before. I like, I mean, when, when I've read it and read to the cross, for some reason it was a little less personal. I didn't feel as bad about it that way. When I read it this way and it says, Jesus Christ nailed my issues to his cross, it's personal. I got problems. And he personally nailed them to his cross. The one he died on, the one he bled on, the one he suffered on for me. He nailed it on his cross for me personal and he crucified them there you think that would be enough right we could just stop right there and all go home we're good right but what do we do i peel them right off that cross i patch them up i put them right back on me and i walk around like that again and then i'm confronted with this and i think god i am a mess i need you every day And I need you to take these issues I have and nail them to your cross and crucify them there. And this time I'm going to try to walk away and not take them with me. And and Paul goes on. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited 
or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. It's that one another part, that word, that that phrase, one another. In English, it's two words. In the Greek, it's one word. It actually appears over a hundred times in the New Testament. A hundred times. There's a hundred times in the New Testament where God tries to help us on how to deal with one another. And the first part, we've been talking about everybody else's issues, but don't forget, there are issues. These commands in the New Testament, they come from, from Jesus and Peter and Paul and James. Nearly every book in the New Testament has that phrase, one, where, one place or another. It's a huge focus, something we have to be looking at. It's, some of them are kind of funny. There's actually four times in the New Testament where it says to kiss one another. But before any of you get weird, it's never in a romantic sense. It's, it's more of a Middle Eastern you know, greeting that we don't, it's not really common in the United States. But, but maybe it'd be more similar to someone who you love and you care about. They don't even have to be family members. And you just greet them that way. It's a, it's a sign of affection. But in the New Testament church, four places in the New Testament, they're encouraged to treat each other like that. You know what I felt convicted about? You think... How, Pastor, how could you feel convicted about a kiss scripture? You know why? Because I don't feel like that toward everybody. And I need to. I need to let my passions and my issues be nailed to the cross by Jesus himself and crucified there so that I feel like that. How about this? There's freedom not to bite. What? Yeah, exactly. What? What? In the Bible? Yeah, you don't think you bite each other? Yes, you do. We all do. Galatians, again, a little earlier in that same chapter. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. How sad is it that Paul had to write that to the church, to the Christian church? He's writing this as he just taught. Look, look at what he just said. You've been called to live in freedom. You should be serving one another. Instead, you're biting and devouring one another. That's how we do. We treat each other like that. You see it. I mean, I know a lot of times, you know, you might not see it in the church, but you might see it in your kids. You see them bickering and tearing each other up and saying this or that or pushing their buttons intentionally or And you'd say, can't we just get along? Come on, guys. But we do the same thing. You said what when I said bite, but freedom to serve? Doesn't that sound a little weird too? You're free to serve? That'd be like like me walking in and say, hey, you're free to serve me today. (laughs) You say, what? What are you talking about? You are. You're free to do that. You're free to do that instead of what you normally are inclined to do. Because we're all wired to serve ourselves. And what Paul is saying here is the Spirit of God living in us frees us to live differently than how we're normally wired. It frees us to live outside of, of that all that started in the garden when we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we, it all became about us. And he says, you're free from that, and now it can be about other people. There is a beauty in that kind of freedom. There's a beauty in it. The opposite of that is... The, is is the attitude that you go around and you think, I need to be served. One of my cousins, he's a very clever wordsmith guy. And whenever he wanted somebody to do something, he'd, he'd walk up and he'd say, hey, you want to be great in God's kingdom? 
You know, people are like, what? Well, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you need to be the servant of all. I need you to go do this. I remember saying, that's clever, but that's twisted, right? But you're free to serve, not be served. Different, totally different idea. <clears throat> and think about this. If everybody's serving everybody, whose needs are getting met? Everybody, everybody. When we're not serving, though, is when we feel like we need to demand something because we're not getting what we need. And it works the other way, too. And some people are difficult to serve. I get that. They're difficult to love. You might be sitting here thinking, all right, I see what he's talking about. And maybe the Holy Spirit is already convicting you of, of whatever's in your life. And maybe you're saying something like this. Well, nobody served me. Why should I serve? Nobody did that for me. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, they're not nice to me or nobody's talked to me. Or How about you go first this time? That's what he's saying to us. That's the challenge. How about, how about you do it for the right reason, regardless if anybody does it back? That's hard, isn't it? That's living way, 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 way beyond the I need mine and I demand my rights. How about serving and putting yourself out there regardless of what they do, even if they mistreat you over and over and over? You know what that really is? It's, it's tolerance. It's weird. I mean, tolerance in our society today, they've changed the whole word tolerance. I mean, you hear tolerance, and they don't really mean the dictionary definition today. What they mean is that I need to adopt somebody's point of view or their value system, or I maybe even need to celebrate their value system, even if I disagree or I'm morally opposed. That's not really what tolerance means. What tolerance means is I can be, I can be different than you. you. You could annoy me or be obnoxious to me, and I extend love to you regardless, and I'm free to serve you because it's not about me anymore. It's about you. That's real tolerance. And, well, let's, let's look at Scripture again. Paul again in Ephesians. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead, lead, lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. He's talking to you, the church. Sometimes when we read Scripture like this and you see the word you, you might look down at the reference and say, well, he was just talking to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. Pastors have to do this. This book right here, the book of Ephesians, was actually written to the church in Ephesus, in Asia Minor, for the whole church. And this particular book is one of the letters that we, we typically say is about the church. This book has more about the church than any of the other New Testament books. I, it's for you. It's for me. It's for us. You are to live a life worthy of your calling. You as a church, every one of us has a calling. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. That's, that's real tolerance. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, again, we're going to be honest and transparent and real. And You've been called to be humble and gentle and patient and allowing for faults because of this love. You're supposed to be bound together in peace. Literally, that bound together says tied up with peace. Like peace is your number one goal. You're tied up with peace. I heard this discipline tactic with kids. I'm not necessarily recommending it just in case any kids hear this and say, it was my fault that you did this, but... Like if kids are bickering, get a shirt that's a little too big and put them both in the same shirt. 
and let them be that way for like an hour till they, get, till they stop. I thought that would be so funny to do. Not, not for me as a kid, but I'm saying for some other kid. But, but that's the picture I get when I read this, this verse, and it says, bound together with peace. I mean, if you're bound together with someone, you, you're going to have to get along, right? And your motivation is because you're called to do this as a church. It's, it's literally Christ himself saying, I died for you to be bound together with people. That's taking it to a whole nother level. I mean, that's really hard. You might say, God, that's not fair. Can I pick who I get bound together with? It's hard. Our daughter, Lily, used to quote this all the time. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. No payback. No paybacks. And then we're going to keep piling on here with more Paul. Being a Christian is tough. We're called to love the unlovely. All the unlovely. We're called to love unkind people. We're, kind, we're, we're called to love people with whom we disagree, with people whose values and beliefs are different than ours. We love them. Do you, do you realize that that love is the one thing that can tear down any barrier? When people are really loved, truly loved, and they see that your love is not going to change no matter how they act or treat you. And you know what? You're not even doing it whether or not they change. You're just doing it because that's what you're called to do. In Philippians 2, we're given this example of Christ. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete being like-minded, having the same mind, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, Here's the key. Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's hard. That's hard, especially if you don't feel like they don't care about you. You feel like, well, someone's got to care about me. I mean, what about me, right? Who's going to take care of me? And what if they're a jerk? And Yeah, you can keep saying that. And we don't do this because they're superior or they're more important to Christ. Because that's not it. The thing is, because they are valuable to him, he's someone they died for. Because of that, they are valuable to you. And you treat them that way. You treat everybody with preferential treatment. You know how it is, right? Where you walk in somewhere and you can tell someone's like a regular customer. You know how those people, they walk in and it's almost like the people know them and they get their order for them, right? Even before they even ask. And they just treat them a little nicer. You know how that is, right? And you think, man, I wonder what, how long they had to be here. I wonder, wonder what's different about them. I wonder if they tip more. I wonder, what is it? What if, what if everybody in here treated each other like that, like they were that special? That kind of love breaks down every barrier, and it's not because they deserve it. It's because Christ did it for you. And you do it first, even if they never return it. That's how we do it. So who's unworthy of that? Let's... Again, we're going to be real, right, and honest? Who's unworthy of that kind of treatment, really? <laughs> yeah, right. We are. We're unworthy of that. 
When it comes right down to it, none of us are worthy to be treated that way. Not one of us. No matter how, many, how good you think you are, nobody's that good. None of us are worthy of that. And so maybe you're thinking, well, there's, there's mean people out there. Yes, there are. There's haters out there. Yes, there are. Maybe you have family members. You do not think they're worthy of this. And you know, because you know. I get it. Maybe you're saying, but you don't know what they've said to me or about me or done to me. I, I know. They didn't even talk to me. I, I get that. Let me, let me ask a couple questions that are going to be really direct, okay? I'm going to warn you, all right? Just, they're going to be direct. Who is it that we subtly try to exclude? Maybe not overtly, because then we'd be, someone might notice, right? But you subtly exclude. We come face to face sometimes with our hidden biases and prejudices when we think about this. Think about Jesus, though. What did he do? He, he traveled the earth with, I forget who wrote this. Nicole shared this with me. I forget now who wrote it. But they said, Jesus, he really traveled the earth with, you could call them the dirty dozen. They weren't really fancy people. You know that, right? They didn't have religious degrees. They were fishermen and tax collector, despised some of them. That's who he chose to associate with. Those were his disciples. Doubters, tax collectors, stinky fishermen. He surrounded himself with women of unclean backgrounds. People who were disease-ridden. You know, in the first century, there was no urgent care. You know that, right? I mean, most people died of simple things that you and I don't think twice about. Put a little Neosporin on it, you'll be fine. You avoided disease and dirt people. Jesus didn't. He, he hung out with demon-possessed and freedom. The Pharisees ch- challenged him on all accounts. How could this so- son of man associate with those people? You know those people, right? So I've had to ask myself, who do I subtly try to exclude from Jesus inner circle? Who am I tempted to write off or dismiss or exclude or leave off the invite list? Who do you do that to? Ask yourself that. Let it linger for a minute. It's kind of painful, isn't it? Because I want to think I'm a better person than that. Let me ask the question in a somewhat positive way. Who do we try to include? Because there's one thing, the subtle exclusion, but then there's also including, and there's a middle ground there where we do nothing sometimes. But who do we try to include? Do you realize they say that once people become part of a church, after a year, they usually statistically don't invite anybody the rest of their time at church because you just get comfortable. You get into a group and you feel safe and you're there. I think, too, as we grow, as we get older, we forget what it's like to meet new people. And I know our kids had to change schools this last year. From you know, We were in Liberty for 10 years, and then we moved to be closer to the church, and so now they're in Blue Springs, and it's been tough. It's different. It changes. Life changes. But as adults, it's way different. How many of you, don't raise your hands, it's rhetorical, but how many of you have had to change jobs in your adult life and meet new people? Tough, isn't it? And you walk in and think, I wonder if I'm going to have anything in common with anybody. I wonder if they'll know me. I wonder if anybody will ever want to have lunch. Or... And those questions kind of linger in your mind, and there's a little bit of hesitation and trepidation. Can you imagine walking into a church? Yes, we share Christ, but 
are we going to be included? Are, are people going to actually open up their friendship circles and let us in? Are they going to add us? Are they already full? Do they already have enough friends? Because as adults, we kind of fill our lives. We're busy. We, we've got things we're doing. We've got a schedule. Or, and then for a lot of us, you know, we have like a work schedule and a life schedule. Then our, our wife has our family social calendar schedule. And there's a lot of things going on. And to actually add other people with all of those schedules together can get complicated and difficult. And, and yet as the church, that's one of the main reasons people come to church is to know people and to walk this Christian road together and to be with each other. And the fact is, until you get through those initial steps of getting to know you, you'll never really know each other and know us and know what our problems are and our issues and care enough to pray because you won't get that far if all you do is walk in and let walk out and kind of vaguely recognize people. Remember, Nicole and I were at a church for many years, and, and um, I was really busy in the youth ministry, and, and she was busy with our young kids. And at one point, she described her church experience like going to the mall. She said it was, I would walk in, and people were superficially friendly, and you saw vaguely familiar faces, but that was it. It broke my heart. But it's not all like that. You know what I've noticed? I've noticed some of you are sitting in different places. You know, and I've talked to you why, because it's confusing for me sometimes. Because <laughs> as a pastor, you know, standing here, our minds, our minds are amazing tools. Just like that prophecy, you know, where God talked about, it, he, he told us about how he created the universe, and there's galaxies we've never even seen yet. Because that's who he is, he's a creative God. But our minds are amazing that he's given us. And when I stand here, my mind, without even thinking about it, maps the congregation out. And when you change seats, as I'm speaking, in my mind, I've got this whole other conversation reel going like, I wonder why they're not sitting in their spot. Oh, they're changed seats. I wonder what's going on. And I've talked to some of you like, why did you change seats? You know what? I'm so excited. You know why a lot of people are changing seats? Because they want to meet new people here at the church. That's their motivation. I love that. I love that because that means that people who are here and who've been here want to invest in relationships beyond what they've had and what's normal and, and comfortable. And I'm not saying everybody has to switch seats. That would be comical, though, but you don't have to. And I did talk to somebody. They kind of tricked me because they said they were switching seats because one of the lights was in their eyes. And I get that, too. That's okay, too. But it gets you to meet new people. It's fun, isn't it? It's almost like changing neighborhoods. And I've said this before, that your seat in the church can feel like a neighborhood. And you look around and you say, oh, someone's got a new car. And then someone moves into the neighborhood, and you're like, oh, they're new. Look how many kids they have. And you're kind of watching them. And you could do that in your seat in your area, too. And I love that people have decided intentionally to change kind of seats. Can I have the worship team come up? I've noticed this happening, too. I was in the lobby one day, and I watched. And one of, one of the people who've been at the church a long time, I watched them as they walked by, and this is what they did. Um, I'm going to do it this way, because I was standing here. They were in the lobby like this. They're walking by, and they said, hey, how are you doing? And they said their name. And then as they walked by, they're like, yeah. And I was laughing. I thought, what is he doing? And I went and asked him, you know what he was doing? This is so cool. So cool. He and his wife said, we've been at this church a long time, and we find that there's a lot of new people we don't know, and we want to know them. So they took this the extra mile and made an investment in this that just, it'll, I, I was so impressed. Here's what they did. They got one of the church directories, which is all print, you know, just addresses, names, and stuff. And they would go down, and when they came to somebody they didn't know, they would see, well, maybe they're on Facebook. Maybe they're on the church Facebook. 
And then if they found them on there, here's what they did. They're like, oh, okay, I see. I, I've seen them. Then they would try to remember their name. Then they would do this, and I love this. this is a memory tool. They're like, they would try to put a name to something like, like um, uh, maybe Jeff Giant, which isn't one. I'm just saying that, but like Jeff Giant, you know, something that won't change. I mean, you can't do blue shirt because they might not wear blue every day, right? But do you see the effort here? They're trying to get to know people. And they're like, well, what does his wife look like? And do they have any kids? And oh, I've seen them. I've walked by them a million times. And then they're trying to remember the name. So in that one instance right there, they memorized the name. And, and, this, and what was funny is the lady walking by, she's like, like <laughs> I don't even know if they really knew each other, but he knew her name. He worked on it. There's another couple here. They're, they've been here a long time too. What they've been doing is as they meet people, they write down the name. Then they go and say, hey, I met this couple. I met this person. And then they want to both meet them, and then they've taken an extra step. And they didn't even tell me about this. Somebody else told me about this. They've actually started writing names like on three-by-five cards, and on the way to church, they're quizzing each other. Remember, these two, these two go together, and here's two. So do you see what's happening? That is awesome. That, to me, tells me that these people, they want to extend love and family to people way beyond what's normal. I love that. They get it. They get it. I love that. That's what one another is all about. That takes it to a whole nother level. I'm going to challenge you to do this. We do this when we, you know, shake hands, and that's an intentional thing we do. It's not a time filler. In fact, as, a, as when we plan services, most of the time we're trying to see how we can cut things out because we want to leave room for what's really important. And when we take that time for you to greet each other, I love, I've never been in a church where people, we have to call you back. That's awesome. But I'm going to challenge you to do something. I'm going to challenge you to do it maybe a little different the next time. I'm challenging you to, before you say hi to even people who you know, and they'll know, they'll know what you're doing. They won't be offended because we're all here in it together. So it'd be like if I was sitting by Pastor Jeremy, I would say, I'm going to talk to you in a minute, but I'm going to meet somebody I don't know first. And that might mean I step out you know, three or four rows. And I know that's extra effort, but that's what I'm asking you to do because I don't want anybody to ever walk around here and feel invisible. I don't want everybody, anybody to not feel connected because they don't know anybody. And then I'm going to challenge you to do some of the things that these other people have been doing and maybe write down a name. If you were to look at my notes in my phone, I use this, this program called Evernote where I can write a note on my phone. It automatically updates to my computer or tablet or anything else I'm using. And I do that. Because there's a lot of names to remember. And I know not every, we're not all great at names, but, I, but I, what I do is when I meet somebody, I try to write a name down. Sometimes I get stuck because I'm like, oh, I just met seven people. I can't remember them all. I can't remember them before I get right over here. So you might see me pull out my phone. I'm writing down a name because it matters. I want people to remember my name. I want to remember their name. Go the extra mile. Make it, make it work. You can do some other tricks too, like use their name over and over. And it'd be funny when somebody does that too and you'll realize what they're doing. So they might be saying, oh, so Pastor Jeremy, I see that you're married to Kristen, and then Pastor Jeremy, you have two kids, and Pastor Jeremy, you know, and you will remember that name. You might just tell your wife, somebody, hey, I met so-and-so, and they're a giant, and their name's Jeff. I'm going to take it another step further. Are you ready for this next challenge? The youth are doing some fundraisers for the Nicaragua trip, and then the Iceland team are doing fundraisers. I mean, there's some lunches coming up where... There's going to be a gym full of people eating lunch. And I don't know about you, but I know there's times where we walk in, like, who we're going to sit with. Do you know what goes through my mind and Nicole's mind? Who's not, who, is, who is sitting alone? No one should ever be alone. 
Who, who doesn't know anybody? Who's newer? Who needs connected? And don't be offended, but some of you I know pretty well. I'm not going to sit with you at lunch. Does that sound mean? It's not. Because I want to be able to connect. I, I don't want anybody sitting alone or anybody feeling like, ah, nobody knows us or cares about us or cares to know us. No one should ever feel like that. So I'm going to challenge you. It should be, it'll be funny because then no one will want to sit with well, anyway. I mean, if we all do this, it could be kind of awkward, but... But if we all do it, what will happen? We're going to be serving everybody. Everybody will be served. You are free to serve. You're free to do this. I want you to do this with me. If you would all stand for a minute. I'd just like you to shut your eyes for just a second. We've been talking about a lot of things here, but the main thing is that we serve a God who loves us and he loves other people. And because he loves other people, we love other people. But you may be in church today and you may be someone who thought, ah, I just came to church today, or maybe you had been in church before, but you're standing here today and you're thinking, you know, I don't really have a relationship with God like the one you keep describing anyway. I need to start a relationship with him if you are that person and you wanted to start a relationship with him, we want to pray with you today before we leave. We're not going to go through a bunch of things. We're just going to pray together. Does anybody want that today and you don't have that? You're going to have to raise your hand high because I had you all stand. Anybody at all? I see a hand over here, and I see one on this side. I see two. I see three. Anybody else? Oh, wait a minute. Here's what we're going to do. I definitely would like to talk with those of you who raised your hand. You could talk to really probably anybody in this church, but I would love to talk to you. But I want us as a church to pray together. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And the, the whole point of this prayer is just to admit that we have faults and that Jesus has died for, for those sins and we accept his sacrifice in our life and he changes our life starting today. And he will come in us, that verse we read about the spirit living us, that's God's spirit and he helps us make better decisions. He guides us in that. That's what we're going to pray together for. If you were one of the three that raised your hand right now, I want you to especially pray this, but I want us all to pray so we're doing this as a family together. So just repeat after me. Father God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done that are wrong. I don't want to live like that anymore. I'm thankful that you died for my sin. And I want to apply that sacrifice to my life. I want you to come in me. I want to live different from today on. Amen. With the rest of you with your eyes closed still for just a minute, I gave you some challenges right now. And before I send you out to live out these challenges, I just want to ask you some simple questions, and I want the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and mind right now. Who do you struggle to love? It might be a family member, a coworker, or it might be someone right in this room in a seat next to you or three down. I don't know. We've talked about some ways that you can show them respect and love and acceptance Maybe you need to invite him to church. I was so moved. There's a, a dear lady in this church who was sharing an experience. She was saying about how at her job, she's 
just felt led to, to invest more in her coworkers and find out more what they're going through and help them. And because of that, she started inviting them to church, and then it dawned on her she's been working there a long time and had never done that. And now she is. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do too. Maybe God's calling you to include people in conversation who are standing right there and desperately need to be included. Maybe it's inviting them to lunch just to get to know somebody, including them in your group. And yeah, it is at any of these dinners, sitting with them and talking with them, finding out about them, getting to know their name, writing down a name, all those things. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to, if you would commit to doing that. Who of you would commit to doing some of those things? Just raise your hand real quick. Appreciate you that doing that. Appreciate that. I'm going to pray over us as a church and uh, pray that God would help us to do that. And then the worship team's going to set us out with a song. But let me just pray that God would help us to do those things. God, we stand before you as people that have faults. And God, we come up short so often. I pray that your spirit would move in us and help us to live just as we've read today, all of those things. God, that we would put other people first, that we would treat them with preference. God, that we would love them like you love them and it would show in everything we do, our conversation, the way we treat them, how we include them, all of those things. Father, I pray for those people who came to our minds just a minute ago, that you would help us to act on that and treat them different in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you today as you go out and do that. If you raise your hand, I would love to talk to you after this service right now. If you're coming to the Connect Lunch, we're going to start that as quick as we can in that that, uh, crown room as you leave the building on your left there. God bless you today.